You're listening to the podcast for Asbury United Methodist Church. Join us every Sunday for worship at 8.30 or 10.45. Find out more at asburybosier.org. All right, Acts chapter 18. Let's get into the Bible, shall we? Paul is in Corinth. And the extra reading for tonight is is Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, uh, which details, it gives some context to what Paul is going through. We won't specifically talk about Corinthians tonight, uh, but in reading uh, 2 Corinthians in particular, uh, you're getting some extra context of what Paul is going through uh, here. So it says, after this, and what is the this? Uh, It's his uh, time in Athens. So after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come home, uh, come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, or Prisca, as uh, Paul refers to her in Romans chapter 16. Uh, Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. So Claudius, the Jews and the Christians uh, were going to blows with each other, and Claudius kicked all the Jews out. He said, you're out. You're gone. So Claudius uh, had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, and they worked together. By trade, they were tent makers. So Paul was a, a tent maker, uh, probably more generally a worker of leather. So not just tents, but you know, a, a worker of leather, leather. Every Sabbath, he would argue in the synagogue and would try to convince Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with proclaiming the word, testifying to the to the Jews that the Messiah was Jesus. When they opposed and reviled him, in protest he shook the dust from his clothes and said to them, your blood be on your heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now that is, um, you probably have that in your Bible as a quote. Do you have it in quotation marks? Uh, That's a quote from Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 4 that talks about, it's a biblical way of saying, that's on you. I gave you the good news. You're not listening. That's on you, right? And then there's a shaking of the dust, right? So there's a tradition. And I learned this, I learned this at a Board of Warning Ministry Retreat, where Tim was also uh, early in this week. Brian Mercer, uh, who's a pastor um, over in uh, Minden, First Church Minden, uh, talked about the tradition of shaking the dust off of your feet. Uh, so very pious Jews, if they were in contact with Gentiles or walking through a Gentile area, they would take their shoes off and slam them together to shake the dust off of their feet of the impurities. And Jesus takes a slightly different approach. He's not saying to take your shoes off because of the impurities, but he's saying take, uh, because when the disciples would go out and they would be rejected by a city, they were calling, the disciples were, were calling from the, f- the fire of heaven to come and burn them up. And Jesus said, no, no, no. Shake the dust off your feet and move on. Shake the dust off your feet as a sign against them, but move on. In other words, it's on them. Because uh, we really like, especially with our enemies, we like for their judgment to be now and in front of our eyes <laughs> in real time, right? Jesus is saying, shake the dust and, and move on. It's also an act of humility because uh, sometimes... Uh, we think that we are the ones who are doing the convicting and not the Holy Spirit. Um, if it's not catching, if it's not catching, uh, then, then shake the dust off of your feet and, and, and move on. Sometimes we think that we are the ones who are doing the convicting and not the, the Holy Spirit, right? 
So here's Paul in, in a biblical way uh, saying, uh, that's on you. I'm going to the Gentiles. And, and here, at least in the book of Acts, here is where Paul takes a turn to almost exclusively do a Gentile mission. He's becoming, he's donezo, uh, as the kids used to say. They don't say that anymore. He's done with Jewish Christians, right? He's done. I'm going to the Gentiles, right? Um, verse 7, then he left the synagogue and went to the house of a man named uh, Titus, or T-I-T-I-U-S. This is fun. When you read the book of Acts, especially in these two chapters, you're going to run across names you've never seen or read or even heard before, which gets a lot of fun. Um, uh, who was a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the official of the synagogue, became a believer in the Lord. Uh, together with all of his household and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul became believers and were baptized. One night the Lord said to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, but speak and do not be silent for I am with you and no one will lay a hand on you to harm you for there are many in this city who are my people. Now Paul doesn't always hear this vision in every city to which he goes, right? This, this, um, this moment of I would say physical protection, but it's more of a spiritual affirmation. Like, don't be silent, take courage, keep going. Because as you keep reading, there are some cities where Paul is bound and he is jailed and he is beaten. But here he gets this message from the Lord saying, take care, have strength, have courage, keep going. Verse 11, he stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when uh, Gallio was pro-counsel of Achaia, and I looked that up of how to pronounce that, uh, Achaia, uh, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. They said, the man is persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, uh, speak, Gallio said to the Jews, if it were a matter of crime or serious villainy, I would be justified in accepting the complaint of you Jews. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names in your own law, see to it yourselves. I do not wish to be a judge of these matters. And he dismissed them from the tribunal. Then all of them uh, uh, seized Sothenes, the official of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of these things. So in this portion of Acts, the persecution is coming from within the faithful. This won't always be the case, because right now the Roman authority is on the whole, ignoring Christianity. Look, this is a sect from y'all. Y'all go figure it out. I'm not going to pay any, any mind to this. Um, as we see later, the Roman authorities are fine with dismissing arguments until the proclamation of the word starts to affect their pocketbook. And once Paul starts mucking things up in the economy is when Rome finally says, okay, all right, we got we to gotta put a seal on this. For right now, they're just a nuisance, uh, and he's dismissing them. Y'all go work it out. Uh, but then uh, we hear about the temple of Artemis, and uh, there's this accusation against Paul. And when, once Paul comes into town, uh, the, the revenue at the temple starts to dip. Uh, and that, that's the thing, man. Uh, following Jesus is all well and good until it starts affecting your checkbook. And then it gets real. <laughs> then it gets real. Love that. 
Commitment Sundays and two Sundays. Drop that little, just plant a little seed there. After staying there for a considerable time, Paul said farewell to to the believers and sailed for Syria accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Interesting fun fact. Uh, from here on out, Priscilla is named first. Priscilla and Aquila. Aquila is the guy. Priscilla is the girl. She's named first, which is a, 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 a tip of the hat to her. And we don't know whether she had a very high status or she was wealthy or well-respected, but it is a bit counter in biblical language for she to be named before he. But we have that, and for the rest of Acts, we have that. Just an interesting fact of, of, of her status uh, in all of this. Um, at Syncrei, 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 he had his hair cut for he was under a vow. So Paul had his hair cut uh, while he was there and he was under a vow. Now, this is Deuteronomy 6, where you have details of the vows of the Nazarene. And when you take take a Nazarene vow, as John the Baptist is suspected to have done, uh, you do not cut your hair. You abstain uh, from spirits, uh, from uh, wine, um, and and you devote yourself to God. Now, it's interesting. Scholars are a bit um, divided, on, as they are on everything, uh, divided on was he cutting his hair at the end of a Nazarene vow? Was he cutting his hair to begin a Nazarene vow? They're not quite sure. But what they are sure of is this gives us a window into Paul's relationship with Judaism. Because sometimes, sometimes we have this kind of false memory of after Paul's Damascus experience that Paul threw away Judaism and started planting churches. Uh, That's not the case. In fact, if you read uh, the conversion experience in Paul's own words, after Paul's conversion, he went to Arabia for three years and, and discerned. <laughs> I mean, if you were blinded by Jesus <laughs> uh, on your way to persecute Christians uh, and a Christian healed you of your blindness, uh, it would take around about three years to come to, <laughs> to, come to peace with yourself uh, of when you have this kind of dramatic uh, life change. Um, but here, at least, it gives us another hint that Paul didn't, even in his mission to the Gentiles, didn't throw away his Jewish roots and tradition. Now, Acts likes to emphasize Paul's Jewishness. And again, if you remember in the first couple of weeks when we were talking about it, the book of Acts in part, in part, uh, was organized and uh, sent out to temper the disagreement between Peter and Paul, right? And again, because when you read Paul in his own language, he's much hotter than is expressed in the book of Acts, right? So what, what was the word? Balderizing? It's a balderizing of, of the story, which is a, an, um, a, an editing of the language to soften the tone, right? So Acts likes to emphasize Paul's Jewishness, right? Even, um, I don't know if we discussed this last week, of, of Timothy's circumcision. Did we mention that? Yeah, a couple of people are saying yes. A couple of brave people are saying yes. <laughs> yeah. Don't you love those questions? Like, did we cover that? And you're like, I don't. Maybe. I just, I, maybe. I don't know. Um, <laughs> that, that Paul had Timothy circumcised because, even though it's, a, it's an apostasy to Paul, 
uh, but he had him circumcised in order to be effective in ministry, right? So there's, there's always a footnote. That's what Paul's ethic. So Paul's ethic, which is why Christianity is so hard. Paul's ethic is you can unless you shouldn't. And you shouldn't unless you should. Which makes Christianity very difficult. Like, just give me the to-do list and just let me follow yes or no. Do this, don't do that, do that. Again, when you read Romans chapter 14, when the, should we eat meat sacrificed to idols? We've talked ad nauseum about that because it's important because Paul could have said no or Paul could have said yes. But he said, yes, you can because you know these gods don't exist, but you shouldn't do it in the presence of them because they think it's wrong. And before you celebrate, the reason you think it's wrong is because you're weak. You can unless you shouldn't. And you shouldn't unless you're really called to do it, right? No Greek should be circumcised, except for Timothy, because he's about to go to some Jewish Christians, and he needs to be effective in ministry, right? That's when Christianity gets fun, right? All of these footnotes uh, in life. That's what it looks like to improvise with the Holy Spirit, to allow the Holy Spirit to move you, is that sometimes it bends the rules for the um, uh, sharing of the gospel, Long story short, Paul gets his hair cut. He goes to the salon, gets his hair cut um, in Singriai. Singriai. Singriai? Singriai. Singriai? Singriai. Singriai. I even looked that up on YouTube of how to say that. I think that's right. That Greek place um, is where he, and it's either a sign of, of a vow ending or a vow beginning. In the least, Acts like to, likes to emphasize Paul's Jewishness. Um, most folks think that it's an ending of a Nazarene vow because of his first missionary journey, because at the end of a Nazarene vow, you cut your hair and you make a sacrifice at the temple. And one of the, vex, the, the very next places that Paul goes to is the temple in Jerusalem. So that's a clue, though it doesn't explicitly say why. All right. Let's skip to uh, verse 24. Now there came to Ephesus a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria. He was an eloquent man, well-versed in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Remember the early name of the church is the way, the way of the Lord. And he spoke with burning enthusiasm and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. That, when the book of Acts says that Apollos was teaching accurately, could be a little balderizing there, right? Because Paul and Apollos, if you look at 1 Corinthians, there was a division in the Corinthian church. Some folks were following Paul some folks were following Apollos. I mean, as, you, as you can tell, Apollos was a, was a much more eloquent speaker. And Paul must have put people to sleep because there's literally a story of a kid falling out of a window when Paul was preaching in just a chapter or two. Right? Uh, it's kind of like the division. This is fun. It's kind of like the division between uh, John Wesley and George Whitfield uh, back in the day, around about 1739-ish. 1739. So Whitfield, who um, erred on the side of Calvinism, so Calvinism is uh, in, in, in a nugget. If you were to put Methodism in a nugget, it would be the grace of God. That's kind of the nugget of, of prevenient, justifying, and sanctifying grace, the grace of God, personal and social holiness. If you were to put Calvinism in, in, in a nugget, it is, it is um, celebrating God's sovereignty. God is God and we are not. Uh, putting in a nugget, right? Uh, and there are also gradations of that, just like with the United Methodist Church, gradations of that. 
Um, so Whitfield erred on the side of, of uh, Calvinism, of celebrating God's sovereignty. And he was a much more enthusiastic preacher than was Wesley. So they had a little, they had a little thing between Wesley and Whitfield, because Whitfield was more popular. But Wesley, as most preachers do, think that he was more right than, than was Whitfield. So Charles Wesley penned a hymn when George Whitfield went from America back to England. So once Whitfield left America, they penned a hymn that had a very universalist tone in terms of salvation, right? Because Whitfield was always the, the elect, right? That's a Calvin predestination. The elect are saved, right? The Wesleys penned a hymn about the universal call of all people. Do you know what that hymn was? I know you know it. <laughs> Hark the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth, not the elect. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners, not the elect, reconciled. Joyful all ye, not just the elect. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph. In the, see? Uh, but they weren't brave enough to do it when Whitfield was in town. They waited for him to go across the pond uh, to publish that. That's fantastic. Fun fact, if you look at Hark the Herald Angels Sing in the United Methodist Hymnal right now, the version we currently sing is Whitfield's editing of Charles Wesley's original hymn. He, well, he, he didn't change the... Well, so he changed some of the verses. Uh, and this was much later. I see folks looking it up. This is good. This is so good. Um, yeah, so Whitfield, just to show you Whitfield's um, gift of language, um, the original first line of that hymn was, Hark how all the welkin ring. Well, what's a welkin? Nobody uses that word. Good job, Charles. Uh, welkin, welkin is an old English term for a celestial bell or a heavenly bell. So Whitfield edited, he's like, Welkin? Seriously? That won't make it on Twitter. Hark the herald angels. Let's do that instead. And that's what made it. So Whitfield's version of that hymn is the one that we know today that's in the United Methodist Hymnal. And it was originally a hymn written against Whitfield. It's fantastic. I love it. It's so good. So Paul and Apollos, back to Bible study, Paul and Apollos um, had a bit of a rivalry because Apollos was, was a, a seemingly a better preacher and more enthusiastic um, and they had a division in the church of Corinth. There were some who were following Apollos, some who were following Paul, some who were following Peter, and some would say, I follow Jesus, right? And Paul at, eventually says, we are the body of Christ. It's not, I'm, I'm a member of Paul's church, or I'm a member of Apollos' church, or, or Cephas, or we are connected to Jesus himself, is where Paul kind of lands. But here is the story of, of, of Apollos in Acts chapter 18, beginning with verse 24. Let's skip to chapter 19. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus, where he found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, no, we've not even heard there is a Holy Spirit. Remember that there was a controversy a little bit earlier in Acts, um, when people were baptized, but not in the Holy Spirit. And Peter had to say, okay, well, let's Let's do this legitimately in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? So here's this again. Some scholars think that Apollos was a follower of Jesus, but for whatever reason, uh, left the Holy Land before 
the death and resurrection. So his baptism and his teaching was very rooted in John the Baptist. Uh, uh, Baptism for repentance sake, right? Not, he wasn't there for Pentecost, is what some scholars think, right? So this is what this, this, is, uh, this is referring to. Uh, verse 3, then he said, into what then were you baptized? They answered, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized uh, with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus When Paul had laid his hands on him, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about 12 of them. Uh, Again, this is very like Paul came in and said, oh, you don't know the Holy Spirit? Well, let me tell you about the Holy Spirit. Let me baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Understand that Apollos had already baptized them. Do you see a, a, a little bit of the tension for Paul to come after Apollos and like re-baptize the people that Apollos had already baptized because they weren't baptized correctly in the, into the triune God. Can you see the like, that's not all, uh, <laughs> awkward, <laughs> you know? Um, anyway, uh, so, but, but again, Acts is very, very positive in the way that it, it shares uh, this information. Verse 8, he entered the synagogue and, and for three months spoke out boldly and argued per, uh, persuasively about the kingdom of God. When some stubbornly refused to believe and spoke evil of the way, the name of the church, before the congregation, he left them, taking the disciples with him and argued daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years so that all residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. This is an interesting story that comes up here. (laughs) God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that when uh, the handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, their diseases left them. And the evil spirits came out of them. Then some itinerant Jewish exorcists tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit, this is a funny line. This is another one of those lines in scripture that's funny, and you should underline. But the evil spirit said to them, Jesus I know. Paul, I know. Who are you? <laughs> I love that. I love it. This evil spirit says, wait a minute. No, I mean, I know Jesus. Like, he's just doing gangbusters, man. He's, he's kicking a lot of us out. Uh, and Paul, man, he's doing really good work. I know Paul. I've, in, in hell, we talk about him a lot. Who are you again? <laughs> Who are you now? I love that. And I love their proclamation. I love their proclamation. They say, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims, not the Christ that they proclaim. Do you see, they're trying to use this as as magic or something of value to them. Um, It'd be one thing. It's kind of like um, uh, um, Isaac, Isaac and Jacob. When Jacob was living under Isaac's home, um, he would always talk about God as your God, meaning his dad's God, your God, your God, until he hit rock bottom, literally, and was sleeping under the stars and saw Jacob's ladder, right? Saw the, the, the heavens open up and angels coming up and down. And surely, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it, right? Here, they're using Jesus as a tool to get a desired outcome. By the name of the Jesus that... Paul's proclaiming, 
I call the Spirit to come out. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way, right? And I love that. Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? That's so great. That's funny. Uh, then the man with the evil spirits leaped on, uh, leapt on them, uh, mastered them all, and so overpowered them that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. I mean, this is like the biblical walk of shame here. Like they tried to do this thing, and even the evil spirit was like, who are you? And then the evil spirits overpowered them and sent them out naked in the streets. Like it doesn't, you know, it doesn't get worse than that, my friends. Um, anyway, that's a great story. Uh, verse 21, let's skip ahead. The point of that, by the way, let me, let me put a bow on it. The point of it is to proclaim Jesus. You proclaim Jesus, and it is your faith and the rock on which you stand. Not proclaiming Jesus that your buddy believes in to do what you want Jesus' spirit to do. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah? Cool? Okay. Uh, verse 21. Now, after these things had been accomplished, Paul resolved in the spirit to go through Macedonia uh, and Achaia and then go on to Jerusalem. Again, remember, he cut his hair. And in the Nazarene covenant, which is in Deuteronomy 6, you cut your hair as a sign of the ending of the vow, and then you go to Jerusalem to offer a sacrifice. So he's on his way to Jerusalem, and he says, After I've gone there, I must uh, also see Rome. So he sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, while he himself stayed for some time longer. About that time, no little disturbance. You'll see this. This is a a curious thing in the language of, of Acts. You'll see this. No little disturbance. Uh, it's just a, another way of saying a very big disturbance, okay? Uh, when, when Eutychus falls out of a window because Paul's preaching is so boring, uh, it said they received no little comfort, which means they received great comfort, okay? It's just a, 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 peculiar, a peculiarity with the way that Acts is written, okay? Um, there was, about that time, there was no little disturbance uh, broke out concerning the way. A man named Demetrius, a silversmith who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought no little business <laughs> to the artisans. Uh, these he gathered together with the workers of the same trade and said, Men, you know that we get our wealth from this business. You also see in here that not only in Ephesus, but in almost the whole of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and drawn away a considerable number of people by saying that gods made with hands are not gods. And there's danger, not only that this trade of ours may come into disrepute, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be scorned, and she will be deprived of her majesty and brought all Asia and the world to worship her. So he's, he has this little stump speech. If we're not careful, uh, there will be violence and we will be poor if Paul gets his way. You know, be careful when you hear a narrative that says, unless you put power in me to be in charge, there's going to be violence and you're going to be poor. So you got to keep me. When they heard this, they were enraged and shouted, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And the city was filled with the confusion and people rushed together to the theater, dragging with them Gaius. And I practiced this. Aristarchus, Aristarchus, uh, Macedonians who were Paul's traveling companions. Paul wished to go into the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some officials of the province of Asia, who were friendly to him, sent him a message urging him not to venture into the theater. Meanwhile, some were shouting one thing, uh, some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. As we mentioned last time, the dark side of the force is cloudy. 
So here's a guy who's whipped them up to a frenzy. Hey, if Paul comes in here, we're going to lose some business, and there's going to be violence, and everything's going to be turned upside down, so we need to stop this. But then eventually, people were confused and couldn't quite remember what they were angry about. They just knew that they were angry, you know? Um, this, this is Twitter, <laughs> okay, uh, on the whole. Uh, people are whipped up into a frenzy, and they have forgotten exactly what they're supposed to be mad about. But I know I'm mad. I love that. <laughs> um, most of them, this is verse 32. <laughs> Meanwhile, some were shouting one thing, and some were shouting another, for the assembly was in confusion, and most of them did not know why they had come together. Why are we protesting again? I forgot. I know I'm mad, but I've, what does the sign say? Oh, that's right. You know, mercy sakes. Um, some of the crowd gave instructions to, well, let, let's, let's skip. So there was a big, a big brouhaha because Paul was coming to town and he was messing with the economy of the city. And here's a guy uh, who, who tries to scare the crowd and whip them up to a frenzy to get rid of Paul. Okay. Um, let's skip to... Let's look at um, chapter 20, verse 13. Here is, as we mentioned, I think we mentioned it last week, um, the we passages. Remember those? Uh, Where they just kind of come unannounced, and then they leave just as unannounced. They pick up again here. Uh, We went ahead to the ship and set sail um, for Assos, intending to take Paul on board there, for he had made this arrangement, intending to go by land himself. And we met them. Uh, This is also part of, it seems that whenever Paul gets to Philippi, the we passages start over again. So could it be that a companion that was with him was stationed in Philippi, and those we passages are a record of that person's ministry? Could be John Mark. Could be someone else. We're not quite sure, but it's just curious that the book of Acts switched to first person, plural, instead of third person, as it does most of the time. Those we passages last all the way to chapter 21, verse 18. It ends in verse 18. So that section, which is very detailed, about lots of different places that they go, it's almost like a a ship's log. Um, uh, And it's it's not the most exciting part of Acts, if I, if I can say that uh, without getting a pitchfork. Um, but it is part of the we passages of this personal narrative of someone who uh, was, with, was with Paul. It ends in verse 18 that says, The next day Paul went with us to visit James, and all the elders were present. Uh, after greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. So this is the second time that Paul is going to, the, to meet with James in the Jerusalem church. Remember, there was the first time where Peter and Paul were there, um, and he gave them those three stipulations. Yes, you could do a Gentile mission, unless they do, but they have to do these three things, or four things. Um, and here, Paul has now come back to Jerusalem to meet, to meet with James. After greeting them, this is verse 19, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. When they heard it, they praised God. Then they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands of believers there are among the Jews, and they are all zealous for the law. They have been told about you that you teach all the Jews living among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, and that you tell them not to circumcise their children or observe the customs. What then is to be done? 
they will certainly hear that you have come. So do, uh, do what we tell you. So do what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Join these men, go through the rite of purification with them, and pay for the shaving of their heads, right? Uh, thus all will know that there is nothing in what they've been told about you. Um, so here's James trying to say, okay, Paul, I'm so glad you're here. And you've been doing a really great job of um, growing the church. And we are so, you've done a, you've done a great job. Uh, but you're in Jew country now. And you need to do a couple things for us to make sure there's no controversy. We don't want any ats on Twitter. We don't want any comments in the Facebook session. We, we need you. Here, go with these four guys. They're really pious. Uh, and they're, very, they're, they're so Jewish. They're very Jewish. We want you to hang out with them. You know, because we've, we've been getting word that, yeah, you're growing the church. And it's really great, but you've been like, saying people don't have to be circumcised and you're like telling people not to follow parts of the law. And I mean, you do you like, that's great. We're, you know, but you're in Jerusalem now. So hang out with these guys and uh, everything will be okay. Right. Um, So uh, Paul does. Um, Verse, uh, so yeah, verse 24, uh, join these men, go through the rite of purification with them and pay for the shaving of their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself observe and guard the law. But as for the Gentiles who have become believers, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain uh, from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what is strangled and from fornication. Then Paul took the men and the next day, having purified himself, he entered the temple with them, making public the completion of the days of purification when the sacrifice would be made to each of them. So it's, it's, I always see kind of this, um, have you seen the, the movie uh, Office Space? <laughs> yeah, so uh, I'm going to need you to come in on Saturday. Yeah, you forgot the cover letter of your TPS report. Yeah, you know, I see James kind of saying, hey, Paul, you're doing a great job. Doing a great job. Appreciate it. Um, but can you stop wearing Birkenstocks um, on Sundays. Uh, And it wouldn't hurt to, like, put a tie on and look a little bit nicer uh, when you come to church. Bishop's coming, and it's going to be really fancy, and I just need you to, you know, maybe shave. Maybe shave a little bit. and That'd be great. In fact, here are four guys from Asbury who are always very clean cut and have no problems. Hang out with them. Why don't you, in fact, enter the worship service with them? That would be great. Uh, and, oh, and by the way, uh, the churches, uh, we sent them a letter just to remind them of the Jerusalem Council that we told you about several years ago that you seem not to be paying attention to. We're really glad you're here, Paul. Thank you so much for, for being here. And I know I'm making light of it, but it's, James is concerned. James is concerned that Paul's in town, right? Um, but it doesn't seem to work. Verse 27, when the seven days were almost complete, the Jews from Asia who had seen him in the temple stirred up the whole crowd. They seized him, shouting, fellow Israelites, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against our people, our law, and this place. More than that, he has actually brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. 
So they're saying even Paul's presence there has defiled their house of worship. For they had previously seen uh, Trophimus, or Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. They supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. So now this crowd who's really angry with Paul are making assumptions about who Paul is. Hmm. They seized Paul and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. While they were, trying, uh, while they were trying to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. Immediately he took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. When they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. <laughs> Have you, um, did you grow up with a sibling? And uh, were you ever, ever punching your, your brother? And then you heard mom's footsteps? <laughs> you know, just stop messing with my stuff. Hey, hey, what's up? You want to play? Play hide and seek? Here, you hide first, right? So they're beating Paul, and then the tribune comes, and they, and they, and they stop. Uh, they stop. Some of the crowd shouted one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered them to be brought into the barracks. When Paul came to the steps, the violence of the mob was so great that he had to be carried by the soldiers. The crowd that followed kept shouting, away with him. Just as Paul was about to be brought into the barracks, he said to the tribune, uh, may I say something to you? The, tri- the tribune replied, do you know Greek? Then you are not the Egyptian who recently stirred up a revolt and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? Paul replied, no. I- I'm a Jew from Tarsus in C- Cilicia, a citizen of an important city. I beg you, let me speak to the people. When he had given them permission, when, 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 when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the people for silence. And when there was a great hush, he addressed them in Hebrew, saying, but then that chapter is not part of our reading tonight. Uh, well, I know, dang, oh, what a cliffhanger. Dun, dun, dun. Next time, same bat channel, same, same bat time, same bat channel. So when, 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 the, when, the, when the Roman guards come, Paul presents himself as a Roman citizen, which he is. When the Jewish authorities come, he presents himself as a Hebrew, as a Jew, which he also is. Um, Paul is amazing, and we talked a little bit about this last week, Paul is amazingly adaptable in these situations. But I love this, that they're, they're really mad, and they, and they bring Paul to the thing, and, and then they say, oh, you, you know Greek? He's like, yeah. And they're like, oh, then, then you're not the Egyptian who recently stirred up a revolt and led 4,000 assassins into the wilderness. <laughs> no. No. In fact, I'd like to talk to the people, if, if that'd be okay. And I'm going to talk to them in their own tongue. Right? So Paul then uh, addresses the crowd. Uh, Paul is very much on the move uh, in, the, in this uh, portion of Acts. Uh, and it reveals uh, a couple of things to us. Um, that Paul is well-respected until Paul starts messing uh, with the economy. Uh, The Roman authorities, at least at first, dismiss Christianity. I mean, Romans know a lot about having polytheism, right? You you go do your God as long as you're paying taxes, like we're square. Uh, But then when you're not contributing to the temple of Artemis, 
we're beginning to have a problem, right? So this, this resistance to the church is becoming more violent as the book of Acts is going. If you read 2 Corinthians, you'll, you'll hear about this. Paul's letter to the Corinthian church, his second letter to the Corinthian church, or the Second Corinthians, um, he talks about perseverance and having hope and having faith, right? Uh, I know things look bad now, uh, but let's have faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul's not saying, like, voodoo, magic, you're not going to have any problems. He even talks about how the word is plain and straightforward. It's not Gnosticism. It's not the secret club. It's not secret knowledge. It's real. It's plain. It's flesh and blood, but also of God. And this is the person of Jesus Christ. Questions? Questions?